Father, we love you and we, we praise your holy name. And as we have already sung praises to you, Father, I pray that even now our worship would continue as we turn our attention to the Word of God. And I pray, Lord, that the Spirit of God would open our, our hearts and our eyes and that we would behold wonderful truth, wonderful things from your law. I pray, God, that you would give us eyes to see, that you would please speak to us clearly and powerfully. And I pray for everyone in the room right now, God, they need to hear from you and to be ministered to by your Word. And so we have this confidence. I thank you, God, that it's not about me, but it's about you and your Word and your ability to speak to your people. And I pray, God, that you would speak through me and that you would help me, Father, in my weakness and that you would cause me to speak with power and with love and with conviction, to speak truth and to speak it with clarity for the building up of the body of Christ and for the glory of your holy name. And we come to you confidently, confidently, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Amen and amen. So we are working our way through a little series right now in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 that I have titled A Pastor's Love for the Church. A Pastor's Love for the church. And last week we talked about the pastor's concern for the church. You may recall Paul was concerned that the church be established, that they would be solid in their faith, that they would not be shaken by adversity, and that they would not be tempted to turn away from their faith. Because we know testing comes and that we are shaken uh, in, in a number of ways in our faith, and talked about feelings and how we can be led astray. And so just wondering how y'all feeling out there, you know? I don't know about you guys, but I got tested in that this past week. That is how it happens so often for the pastor, you know? We stand up here and we confidently proclaim these things, and then the Lord takes us right through it the coming week. And I have to say, unfortunately, I, I don't think I pass. I don't feel like I passed the test quite like I would have liked to have, but uh, God's working in me. And so he's not done. He'll test me again. That's the good news. There's always retests, right? But I wonder how many of you actually paid attention to the, how often we say, I feel. You know, I had a brother come up to me at the gym the next day, and he said it multiple times. And I was like, yeah, I, w I wonder how many people are taking note of that this week. It's pretty amazing. We are governed by our feelings. We filter everything through that. Well, Paul, knowing that, didn't want them to be shaken or to be tempted away and, and led astray from the faith. And this week, what we're going to see, Paul is going to celebrate. He's going to celebrate the good news of what he has heard about this church. So let me just back up a, a step here. Who is the Apostle Paul? Well, we know this was a guy who was a, a, a powerful religious leader. He was a Pharisee. He was a, a Jewish leader there, a very religious man, but he did not believe in Jesus Christ, and he hated Christ, and he hated the church, and his mission in life was to persecute and stop the church. But we know that God graciously intervened in his life, and he came to faith in Christ, and the whole course of his life was changed, and he became such an effective and powerful minister of the gospel, and he set out by the power of the Spirit and planted many churches. And so he was a, a church planter, and he wrote many letters to these churches that he had planted. And that's what we have, a number of his letters in the New Testament here. That's exactly what it is. Paul 
this man who was saved and used mightily by God planted these churches and wrote these letters to the churches. And this particular church here in Thessalonica, this was a very special church to, to Paul, and he loved this church dearly. And, and when he was there, you'll recall, he was taken out of their midst abruptly because of persecution. He was there, some believe, for as little as three weeks, maybe a few more weeks. We just aren't sure. But at any rate, he had to go. He was driven out of there because of the hostility against the gospel. And he had such an unshakable burden for this church. He just could not help but wonder whatever happened to these folks. Did they make it? Did they withstand? Did they stay the course? And so he sent Timothy back there, uh, his, his beloved co-worker, uh, to go back and to check on this church and to see if they still stood and, and to help further strengthen them in their faith. And then Timothy came back to Paul in Corinth and he came with an awesome message. He came with wonderful news about just how good the church was, was doing and how God was so faithful and that their faith was sincere, it was authentic, and that it withstood the, the difficulties that, that they faced so often there. And so that's what we have before us today. Paul is, is celebrating the well-being of the church. Last week we talked about his concern, and we kind of saw the, the profile of a pastor's heart. Pastor Paul, he was so very concerned for the well-being of that church there. And today what we see is his celebration. Paul celebrates when he finds out just what God is doing in their midst. And so that's part two, celebrating the well-being of the church. That's what we'll be looking at today. Now, <clears throat> I had mentioned last week how the role of the pastor comes with a tremendous weight of responsibility and how it can be crushing at times. The, the weight of the responsibility, the concern for the health of the church that God has entrusted to the pastor the, to shepherd the church under the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. But this week, something I kind of want to start out by highlighting is just how discouraging sometimes the work of a pastor can be, you know? There can be great discouragement in pastoral ministry. And believe me, I'm not trying to make this all about me. And so I'm, I'm, I think I will do a good job of not making it all about me. But I think it's good for you guys to kind of get a little bit of a glimpse into what pastors think and feel and in the, in the ministry and gospel ministry. And we see this with the Apostle Paul, and it's amazing how this is really kind of universal. You know, you see the same things. And so discouragement, it's real. It's real in the ministry. Make no mistake, it's a privilege. It's a privilege and a joy to serve the Lord in this capacity. But it should come with no surprise that the ministry can be incredibly difficult and, and for a number of reasons. I would say first and foremost, a minister is confronted by his own insufficiency and sinfulness. Who is sufficient for such a task, truly? Who could stand before the people and say, I know why God called me. Don't you know? I mean, take a look, right? No, we, we don't feel that way. Pastors, they're insecure. They struggle. They often think, God, why did you call me? God, did you actually call me? Uh, we, we struggle because we all know that we do not have what it takes. You know, we believe that God equips the called. He doesn't call the equipped. You know, and so by faith, we step forward into the ministry and believe that God will use us graciously, but we know that we are not God's gift, as it were, to the church. You know, we're just, 
we're, we're struggling. We're strugglers, right? By God's grace, being used by God. And we know that we, are, we too are sinful. You know, I'm not here because I'm elevated to a, to a place of sinlessness. Therefore, I am qualified to try to tell you how you too can be sinless. That's just not what it is, you know. God uses regular, broken, busted up people, you know, to, to serve and try to encourage and, and bless other broken, busted up people. You know, we're just all in this together. And, and we are sinful men and women that serve an amazing, mighty, loving, and gracious God. Amen. Amen. And so just having to keep that balance, having to keep that balance, uh, but that's something that ministers, if, if they're honest, uh, we struggle in that, that way first and foremost. But then, you know, there's people issues. There are inevitable breakdowns in communication, which has always been so weird to me because that's kind of like the pastor's thing. You know, he's a communicator. That's what he does. He stands in the pulpit and communicates God's truth. But then when it comes to interpersonal kind of relationships and connections, always breakdowns in communication. And, you know, I mean... It happens in marriage, men, husbands, wives. We know this. Like, communication is so important and so difficult to maintain. And such is the case in the church. And so people get overlooked. People are misunderstood. Uh, you name it. Breakdown in communication. People get mad. People get mad and people leave. And that is one of the most painful things for a pastor because we know that we just don't have it all together and try as we may. It's inevitable we're going to offend people. Or people are going to be overlooked, misunderstood. Sometimes people get mad and they stay. They get mad, they stay, and then it just festers. You know, Obviously, we don't want them to leave, but they stay and it just builds up. I mean, for years. And it's amazing to me how I've had... You know, people just snap, and all of a sudden they're talking about something that happened 10 years ago. I wasn't even here, and man, people hold on to stuff, you know, and that's just part of it. It comes out, you know. People get fired up, they're excited about the things of God, and then they're gone. You know, they fizzle, they fade, they disappear. And pastors, they really, they really feel the, the burden of that. You know, sometimes you hear some of the things that people are listening to outside the church, the kinds of teachings that they are listening to and believing. It can be the kookiest kinds of things. And, you know, a pastor grieves at that because of the kind of stuff that his people are, are taking in, ingesting, being influenced by sharing with other people, you know. And so these are just a few of the kinds of things that pastors often struggle with. Now, having said that, Though the ministry is fraught with many challenges and discouragements, the ministry can be life-giving. It can be such a thing of, of joy. It can be so refreshing when you see people excelling in the Lord. When you see people believing Christ, trusting the Lord, growing in His Word, serving and loving each other, persevering in the faith. And John says that in 3 John chapter 1, verse 3. He says, For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. And so John, an old man at this point, he understood this well. He said, I have received great joy knowing that my children continue to persevere in the truth. So make no mistake... It's a great privilege to serve the Lord in this way, and there are, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of joy and blessing that comes with it. And that's what we see in our text today. 
You know, Paul was no stranger to discouragement. And when he learns of the well-being of this church, he bursts out in celebration. It makes, it makes the things that are praiseworthy that much sweeter, right? And, and that's, that's a lot of times in this life, it, that's the way that it is. If we wouldn't understand or appreciate the sweet things in life if it weren't for the challenges and the difficulties, right? And so Paul, being no stranger to difficulty, man, when there was a cause to celebrate, man, he didn't hold back. He celebrated. And that's what we see in our text today. That's what we're going to see in our text today as the Apostle Paul celebrates the well-being of this church. So with that, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 6 through 8. And so I'll read that for us. It says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you, Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. So the first thing that we see here in verse 6, Paul celebrates their faith, their love, and their fond affection. Their faith, love, and fond affection. Their faith in Christ their love for Christ and their love for each other, Paul celebrates that. And then Paul celebrates their fond affection for him. The fact that you have good remembrance of me. And we'll talk more about that as we get into that. But that's where we start here today. That's what Paul celebrates. So let me just reread verse 6 here. He says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly uh, desiring to see us as we also to see you. So Paul says, look, Timothy has come to us. You know, we sent him there to check on you and to see how you were doing. Was your faith authentic? Do you continue to stand in his grace? Timothy came back and he gave us an awesome report. He gave us good news. And we're going to see it's good news in three different ways here in this verse right here. And so the first thing is good news concerning their faith. Good news concerning their faith. Faith was always so crucial to Paul, and he celebrated it. So as I'm thinking about these things, you know, it's real easy to just talk about faith and love. The Bible does talk about those things a lot, and they are important. But what is it about faith and love that, that would cause Paul to zero in on those things, right? I don't want to just do a generic teaching on faith and love. There's, there's a reason why out of all the things Paul could celebrate, he really, really zeroes in on faith and love. He says, man, I praise God. I am comforted by the fact that you have faith and love. Faith and love. And so why is that so important for them? Why did Paul zero in on that? And why is that so important for us? That's, that's important for us to know. Faith and love, those are crucial in a church. Something that a pastor really wants to see in the church. Something that the pastor must have in his own life, right? And so let's just take a moment and consider these things. So what is faith exactly? What is it? Well, it's, it's simply belief. It's trust. Everybody in this room is exercising faith right now because you believe that the chair you're sitting on is going to hold you up. 
right? You have some level of confidence that the chair is not going to collapse, otherwise you probably wouldn't be sitting in it. So you have exercised faith, trust, belief in that chair's ability to hold you up. And so it's not just an intellectual thing. It's not just believing that something exists. or there, It's really kind of putting yourself in a position to actually, you got skin in the game. Like, you know, you, you are entrusting yourself to it. And that, that's the way that it is with faith in God. It's not enough to just say, yes, I believe there is a God. There is a creator. It's not enough to simply say, I believe that Jesus is real. We have to actually trust ourselves to him. And we see this with the Apostle Paul. I love how he says this in 2 Timothy chapter 1. He says, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know in whom I have believed. There's that word. And I am persuaded. That is, I am convinced that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. See, that's the language of faith. Paul said, I am not ashamed. That is to say, I am not let down and I am not disappointed. God has been forever faithful. He will be forever faithful to me. I know in whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to keep what I have entrusted to him. And that's Paul's life. Paul gave his life to God and he said, I know that God is faithful. I can trust and trust my life to him here in this life and in the next. See, Paul knew eternal matters did hang in the balance here. What happens on the other side? And Paul said, I know in whom I have believed, and I'm convinced he's able to keep me now and see me through to the very end, and I will praise him on the other side in the next life. See, that's faith. That's faith. And so that's the kind of faith that we have to have, and that's the kind of faith that Paul celebrated for the church there in Thessalonica. It must be authentic faith. It has to be the real thing. And we must have assurance that it is the real thing, and we can have assurance that our faith is real. But in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul says, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? So this is something that we have to take seriously, folks. We have to do some self-examination. That doesn't mean live your life in a constant state of doubting your own salvation and constantly worrying about where you are. But at some point in time, we have to really take it, do some honest and serious inventory, you know, assessment on who we are in Christ. Do we really know Him? Have we truly believed in Him? Have we really come to know Him in a saving way? And that leads me to the next aspect of faith, Faith in Christ and the gospel is the center of it all. That's where our faith must lie. We do not have faith in faith. Right? Does that make sense? Because oftentimes people say, man, you just got to have faith. You ever heard that before? Just got to have faith. But faith in what? You know, because faith, faith in me, absolutely not. Faith in you, no. Faith in this government, Faith in this economy? No, absolutely not. The object of our faith means everything, and it has to be something that is worthy of our trust. And there is only one, and that is Jesus Christ. Faith in Him. And so in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ 
through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Faith in Jesus Christ. Paul says we have been justified by faith. Justified. That is a glorious truth for the Christian. That means declared innocent. It's a one-time instant thing that happens upon believing in Jesus Christ. You don't become more justified. You don't become less justified. It is done, folks. It is finished. When you call upon the name of the Lord Jesus, God says, innocent. I declare you innocent. It's not a matter of us having to keep more rules and regulations. We don't have to earn our salvation. It is given to us. It is gifted to us by God through Jesus Christ by faith, by believing in Jesus Christ, by first believing that we are who God says we are, and that is that we are sin-sick sinners who are desperately and hopelessly and helplessly lost, and that we have to face a holy God one day on that day. And I've heard it said there are two days. One one pastor said in his calendar, two days. Today and that day. On that day, we got to stand before a holy judge and give an account for our lives. But God, who is rich in mercy, who has been so incredibly kind, has given His Son, Jesus Christ. See, He lived a life that we ourselves could never live. Complete and total perfection. He kept God's law on every single point. And yet, at the same time, he suffered. He was tempted in every single way, but he didn't sin. He is our champion. He is our, the champion of our salvation. But then he died. He suffered a sinner's death on, on that rugged cross. He suffered the death that we deserved. And God's righteous anger and wrath was poured out on his own son there on Calvary's cross. And Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath for a lost and dying world. And then He rose again from the grave, victorious over death, declaring that He indeed was who He claimed to be, that He had power over death, and that He was innocent to the grave, and He overcame the grave. And so now, because of that, we can call upon the name of Jesus Christ. We can call upon Him and say, Jesus, would you please forgive me? Thank you that you kept all the law that I could not keep, and you kept it perfectly. And though you did not deserve to die, you went to the cross willingly to die in my place. So that if I trust in you for salvation, if I call upon your name and turn from my sin and turn to you, you will save me. And God will no longer be a judge. He will be my Father. And I will be made new, born again forevermore. See, that's faith, and Christ must be the object of our faith. Amen? Amen. And so that is crucial. That is crucial, and that is our hope of glory. And so we must have authentic faith. We should have assurance of this, and we must exercise this this faith in the right place, in the right way, unto the right person, and that is Jesus Christ. It's important to know that faith is very pleasing to God. And in fact, it's necessary. We can't please God if we don't walk by faith. Hebrews chapter 11, 
verse 5, the author of Hebrews refers to this character in the Old Testament known as Enoch. Everybody know who Enoch was? Such a neat story. You know, we're told that this guy walked with God. He walked with God and then God took him. He just took him, you know, and up to heaven he went. And Enoch was no more because he pleased God. And that's, there's a little bit of commentary here about Enoch in 11, uh, Hebrews 11. And it says this, By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so, in order to be pleasing to God, we must exercise faith. We have to believe in God, first and foremost, to know God savingly and to be forgiven, but then also to walk with God and to live a life that is pleasing to God. We must walk by faith. And it says here that we must believe that He is, that God is who He says He is, that He has done what He said He would do, and that all the promises that He has made to us will come true. You know, believing in the person of God, the works of God, and the promises of God. You know, we have to believe those things. We have to walk in those things. And it says that if we don't, it's not possible to be pleasing to God. We must live by walk by faith. And then to believe that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And so, that, so often, that's my prayer even on Sunday mornings for you guys. I think you guys came here today expecting. You came here today hoping that you were going to hear from God. So I say, God, reward your people. Reward your people. They came here and they are here to hear from you. And so they have come to seek your face. God, would you please bless them and reward them? And so faith is necessary to live a life that is pleasing to God. And we must be habitual faith steppers. Let me just add, add to that. Sometimes we get so caught up over one colossal step of faith. It's like a mountain in front of us, right? And we spend so much of our time and our energy and our emotional, our emotional energy just agonizing over this. And I have to tell you, don't, because there's going to be another one right after it, and then another one after that, and then on and on for the rest of your life. God would have us be habitual faith steppers. And I remember that when I moved out here. There was a, a, lot, a lot of cost that had to be counted. Was like, and, and not really knowing what I was coming out here to, but I, was very, I knew very well what I was walking away from. And so it was a very huge step of faith for me. And I did agonize over it, but I was really comforted with that. You know, It's just going to keep on. And so I might as well just get over this one because there's going to be another one to come. And so... That's, that's all a part of living a life that is pleasing to God. We are, we are living by faith, walking by faith, habitually stepping out by faith. So go for it, folks. If there's something in front of you right now that you're agonizing over, man, step out in faith, all right? Because God directs our path, does He not? The man's heart plans his way, but the Lord does what? He directs our steps. And so we entrust ourselves to the one who is good, to the one who is able, to the one who knows all things, to the one who is faithful. And our job is just to step out, right? Step out. All right, faith is a gift from God. It's 
for our good and it's for God's glory. Faith is a gift from God. It's for our good and for God's glory. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. You've been saved by grace through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's not your own doing. He says it is a gift of God. It's a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. I mean, just think about this. It was a very gracious thing that God did when He gave us faith to believe. He gave us faith to believe. And this was a gift from Him to us so that we could never boast or take credit for it. I can't say, well, you know, I did the right thing. I did the right thing. You know, I believed. I, you know, essentially somehow taking credit for it, you know. And then you look at other people who are struggling and you might have the tendency to look down on somebody else. And God said, I'm going to remove the ability for you to even do that. I'm going to get all the glory. And God says, you are saved by grace through faith. And that, even that is a gift. It's a gift for God's glory and for our good. So that we cannot boast in anything except for God Himself. Let our boast be in God. Amen? If you have any faith... Any faith, God has gifted that to you. God has given us faith. And I praise God for that because apart from God, I mean, I got nothing. I have nothing good. Nothing good in me. Right? But God is such a good and gracious God and He has given us even the faith to believe. The next thing I would say about faith is that not only is it empowered by God, but we still have a responsibility to exercise it. Okay, so there's an interesting balance there. Faith is a gift from God that He gives to us for His own glory, but we have a responsibility to exercise it. We have a responsibility to walk in it, right? It's amazing to me how these things work together. It's like two tracks that run parallel. They never intersect. But there is God who gives us faith, God who works sovereignly, powerfully, but then there's our, our part, our volition, our responsibility, and the two always run parallel. And we see that in this text here. Now, faith is not mentioned explicitly here, but I do believe it's implicit in the text. I believe it's built in, and I think there's just this wonderful balance to be had here. And so, again, faith is empowered by God, but we have a responsibility to exercise it. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. So Paul says, when I was there with you, you were obedient to the truth that was given you. You believed it and you obeyed it. See, obedience is faith. Obedience is an act of faith. Remember, James says that, that faith without works is no faith at all. So when we act upon these, these commands, when we're obedient to them, we are demonstrating that we have faith. And Paul says, you had faith when I was there with you, and you have continued on even after I have left. And then he says, but not, not, um, not now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Work out your salvation. That's interesting. We're saved by grace through faith, right? That's a done deal. Done deal. But then we're told that we must work out our salvation with fear and trembling. What, what does that mean? 
You know, what in the world is Paul saying here? He's saying, well, we have to exercise our faith. We got to walk it out. We got to exercise the muscles of faith, if you will, right? We have a part to play in this matter. And so he says here that it's God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So we've got a part to play in this. God gives us the faith to believe. We're called to walk in it and to exercise obedience in his name. But God gives us even the desire to do it and the ability to do it. That is amazing to me. God gives us the desire and the ability and he calls us to exercise it, to walk in it. So there is this cooperation that happens here. And what does that look like? Well, Paul goes on to say in verse 14, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. So that's what it looks like practically. You know, Paul says, You've been, you were obedient when I was there. You've continued to be obedient since I have left. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's God who works in you both to have the desire to do it and the ability to do it. Therefore, do all things without murmuring and complaining, without grumbling and disputing. Shine like a light in this crooked and perverse generation. Be blameless, be harmless, holding to the word of truth. See, that, that would be, that would be, an example of how we walk by faith, how we exercise our faith. It's empowered by God, but we are responsible to walk in it. And so when hardship comes, we don't complain and grumble about it. And I'm so convicted even right now when I say this. Please let me just say that. I get excited about these things, but man, I... Lord, have mercy on me. But uh, yeah, you know, it's, that's, that's what he's saying. Don't complain. You know, in the Greek, the word there for, for murmuring, it's murmur, mur. I'm just kidding. Okay, that <laughs> fell kind of flat. But anyways, you know, that, that's the idea. We, we, God gives us faith. He empowers our faith, but we have a responsibility to exercise it. So we, when hardship comes, when doubt comes, when fear comes, we don't complain. We don't murmur. Uh, but we, we hold fast to the truth of God and we shine like the light when we do that. We shine like the light in a dark and lost world. All right, one last thing I'll say about faith and then I'll move on. Um, I'm going to cut the message a little shorter than I intended to, so it's all good. Um, I heard an amen out there. <laughs> all right. Faith is the foundation from which any growth, fruitfulness, or assurance flows. You know, faith is the foundation. It's, it's the base. And any, any growth, maturity, fruitfulness, assurance that we have is built upon that. And that's what 2 Peter uh, says, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. It says, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, that is, give, give it all with all your might, with everything you got, add to your faith. So he starts right here. Faith is, at, faith is the foundation. Add to your faith virtue. Virtue is, is like excellence, um, moral excellence. He says add to your faith virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Peter names all of these wonderful 
attributes, and it, it all starts with faith. With, in addition to your faith, add all of these things. All of these things come. And then in verse 8 he says, For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So if you have faith and all of these things are growing upon the foundation of your faith, you will not be fruitless. You will not be barren. You will have a very fruitful life in Jesus Christ. Then he says in verse 9, For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. That's amazing. Have you ever considered that verse? If you do these things, you will never stumble. And so Peter starts with faith, believing in Christ, believing in the promises and the works and the purposes of God, the person of God. And then upon that are built virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. He says, if you're continuing in these things, you will have a fruitful life and you will have great assurance. He says, make your calling and election sure in these things. So if we're growing in these areas, that gives us great assurance that we're on the right track. You know, If we're growing in the knowledge of God and we're growing in fruitfulness before God and we're excelling in these things, that gives us a, a great assurance. And that's not our main assurance. I've talked about this before. Our ultimate assurance is in Jesus Christ and His promises to us, right? And, and His accomplishments, what Christ has done, and, and believing that by faith. That is truly where our assurance lies. But there is this additional aspect of as we grow in these things, it bolsters our confidence and our assurance. So, so Peter says, man, and see, all of these reasons is why faith was so important to Paul. I mean, just consider everything that I have said about faith thus far. That's why Paul was thrilled when he said, man, you guys are a faith-filled church. For all of these reasons, that is why it would be so very important that you have faith. And so with that, we'll move on to one more thing, and this is much shorter. And this is the, the aspect of love. So there was something else that Paul saw in them worth celebrating, and it was love. It was love. Good news concerning their love. Not only is faith important, but love is important. In fact, Paul says that if you don't have love, your faith really doesn't mean much. That's fascinating to me. In 1 Corinthians 13, 2, he says, And though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. That's amazing, isn't it? You know? Anything that we have divorced from love, it's not good. It's a dangerous thing. If I have so much faith, but I'm not a loving person, I am a prideful, arrogant, self-assured person. You know? And so love, love brings it back. It calibrates it. It brings it back into the proper place. And the context here in 1 Corinthians 13 is that of spiritual gifts in the church. It's what Paul is talking about in chapters 12 and 14, there are all of these gifts and how we would exercise these gifts, but chapter 13 talks about how all of this must flow from a posture of love. And if we don't have love, what does he say? It's just like clanging cymbals. That's all it is. It's obnoxious. It's obnoxious. It's not helpful at all. 
And so I think recognizing even that in the context here, Paul is grateful that there is love in the church because clanging cymbals. Uh, so God gave gifts to the church for the good of the church and they were to be practiced so as to love and encourage fellow believers. That's why love is so important in the church. That's why Paul said, I'm so grateful that you guys have love because even in that I know that the gifts will be working as they ought to in the church and that there will be great edification because that was the purpose of the gifts in the church, right? For the building up of the church, for the edification of the body of Christ. And so just side note there, if there wasn't love in that church, if there wasn't love in this church, even the gifts that God has given us are not going to work as effectively as they ought. And so I would say, I would submit to you, there's one big reason why Paul said, praise God, there's love in your church. Faith is a gift from God, but love is a fruit. God gives us faith, it's a gift, but love is a fruit. It's a fruit of being filled with the Spirit of God. Galatians 5 talks about that, the fruits of the Spirit. It flows forth naturally. We don't strain to make fruit come forth. It just does. Fruit is a byproduct of knowing God, being filled with the Spirit, and it's an evidence that we have the Spirit of God because we have love, because love is a fruit. Love for each other is a manifestation of our love for God. Remember, 1 John talks about that. He says, how can you say you love God if you don't love your brothers and sisters? You can't see God, but you can see your brothers and sisters. That's, that's a very tangible and real way in which you can express love by loving each other. But you can't even do that. And yet you expect me to believe that you love God? You know, that, that's kind of the idea there of 1 John. So when there is love in the church, Paul says, you guys love God. You guys love God. Love for God empowers obedience to God. That's why we obey God. That's why we keep His commandments, because we love Him. Uh, we don't keep His commandments so that we can have His love. You understand that? Um, and love really is the motivator. It really is. We must have love. A number of you have heard this story, but I'm, I'm going to tell it now anyways. Some of you haven't heard it. Um, I knew a pastor years ago he, uh, he always was really good about instilling spiritual pr principles in his son in, in really creative ways. And uh, his son went off to college, to a military college, the Citadel, and he came back after the first year in the best shape of his life. And his dad knew this. And so he said, why don't we go bo boxing? You know, let's go box out in the backyard. And so the son said, okay. And they did. And long story short, the son punched his dad in the nose and knocked him, knocked him out. And uh, it scared him because he, he never could do that. His dad would, you know, rough him up. And so he picked his dad up and dusted him off. He had blood coming out of his nose. And his dad looked at him and said, Son, now if you obey me, it's because you love me, not because you fear me. All right? Because he could whoop his dad. He doesn't know how to do what his dad told him to do anymore. But he loves his dad. And so he honors his dad. And he'll do what his dad tells him to do because he loves him and trusts him. And that's the idea of love as a motivator. And so Paul's like, I'm confident that you guys are going to walk in obedience to God because you love God. And that was why as a pa pastor, Paul was so excited for them. And love was the appropriate reciprocation, really. It was the, the appropriate thing because the Bible says that we love God because what? He first loved us. God loved us first. 
So it only, it's only fitting that we would love him, that we would love him in return. And then lastly, Paul just really uh, celebrates the fact that they remembered him with fond remembrance. Uh, everywhere Paul went, he would plant churches and then false teachers would come in and they would turn people against Paul. Man, Paul would get attacked in so many ways. They would come in and they would try to undermine his credibility and they would try to attack his character. They would attack Paul's motives and they would even attack his abilities and his appearance. You know, Paul really just as a pastor, man, he got attacked in so many ways. It's amazing. You know, so that guy, he writes powerful letters, but in person his speech is contemptible. And history tells us that Paul, did, he, he, he was not this towering, powerful figure. He was, you know, his, his appearance was, was nothing to boast in. And that, in that culture, much like ours, that meant everything. What was the person's appearance like and his speech like? And, and so they would come in and they would attack him in every, every possible way in an attempt to turn the church against Paul. But Paul praised God. He said, your faith is authentic, your love is abundant, and you have good remembrance of me. You know, they were still loyal. Loyal love, faithful love to, to Pastor Paul, to their, their founding pastor there. And so, I'll just close on that note. Loyal love. You know, there's something about that, loyalty. Because that's the kind of love that God has loved us with. That steadfast love. I don't know if you ever heard that word, steadfast. You know, it's resolute, unflinching, unwavering. And God's steadfast kindness, His loving kindness, is this loyal love that God has towards us that will never change. And no matter what, on a good day, on a bad day, it's unwavering, it's unflinching, it's steadfast. And I can't help but think of that, you know. Paul says, man, you guys are filled with the love of God. You're filled with faith, filled with love, and you love me. You love me, and you remember me with, with fond, fond affection and, and good remembrance. And I can't help but think of, you know, that's God's faithfulness in them, right? God's faithfulness in them. And so may these things be true of us. You know, may we be a faith-filled church, understanding all of these things about faith, why they're so very important. May we be a love filled church recognizing all that that all that that demonstrates all that that says about us and our validity may we be a christ-centered church a church that believes and makes much of christ jesus his person his work may we be a church that loves god and loves each other it's everything folks it's everything and that was something that gave paul great cause for celebration it gives me cause for celebration and it gives god cause for celebration. You know, when he sees his people walking by faith, it's pleasing to him. It's pleasing to him. And so, may we, by the grace and the Spirit and the strength of God, walk faithfully before our God this week. May we walk by faith habitually. May we walk in love abundantly, generously. Father God, we love you. We praise your holy name. We look to you, Father, for strength, for encouragement. Would you provide for us, Father, a greater measure of faith and love? Lord, all the needs that are present in the body of Christ here, for those that are watching online, God, would you meet them right where they're at? Father, you know all the needs, more than we know the needs, and you have all resources, Father. And so I pray that you would meet all those needs according to your riches and grace. Be exalted in our lives, Heavenly Father. 
Would you go before us this week and cause us to walk in faithfulness and love? Lord, would you see us through another week? See us through another week until we all come together again in the name of Jesus to praise your holy name. We love you, Lord, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.